to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering menu, food, and drink for both brands. Today I'm chatting with Lizzie Fryer, Director of Menu Research and Insights for Technomic. Just last week, Lizzie and I attended the National Restaurant Association show in Chicago, the first in three years. It was an exciting event filled with great opportunities for tasting and trend spotting. In case you missed it, or even if you were there and couldn't possibly get to all the exhibits and presentations, we're going to revisit some of the highlights that emerged from the show, including taking a deeper dive into Lizzie's presentation on novel menu trends to drive business and delight guests. And now that we're almost halfway through 2022, we'll also share some menu predictions for the rest of the year. Welcome, Lizzie. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I wanted to take a look at, you know, now that we're sort of mid-year into 2022, at some of the menu trends that you're watching now, because it's good to do a little check midway through the year. And last week, you did a Menu Trends presentation at the National Restaurant Association show, and it looks like menus are continuing to shrink in size and LTO counts are going down, and those reached a high in 2021. So what is your take on those two trends? Yeah, so, you know, streamlining efforts have been kind of the way to go really throughout the pandemic. Um, I think we saw the biggest drop from the second quarter of 2020 into the third quarter. I don't think that that was a surprise to anyone, about a seven and a half percent drop in menu item counts, followed by another nearly 10 percent drop in Q4 versus Q3 of that year. Um, Since then, it's leveled out a bit. But over the past year, menus are still slightly smaller, falling 1% from 2021 into the first quarter of 2022. So overall, the five-year change in menu item counts are still down 22% um, from 2017 into today. But, you know, and I think people forget often that we did see a little bit of a streamlining before the pandemic as well. So I think this is more of a macro trend. But that leveling out, that just 1% drop over the past year, I think is showing that, you know, I think we're not seeing any more of those significant drops than we used to. So, you know, last year where we were seeing innovation mostly was with those limited time offers. So the five-year change in limited time offer counts at top 500 chain restaurants is actually up 31%. And the one-year change from 2020 into 2021 is up 13%. So I think that provides a nice story about menu innovation. While we have seen declines in traditional menu item counts, we have seen some upticks in limited time offers. So a lot of menu innovation in that space in particular. Right, well, that's good news. So you break down menu innovation into five Ps. So let's start with pivots. Can you explain pivots and give a few examples? 
Yeah, sure. So, you know, obviously over the past two years, operators have been really forced to pivot their entire operations out of necessity. And this certainly includes pivoting menus given those persistent supply chain, labor and inflation challenges. So what we're seeing with pivots in particular are really because of that, but operators are kind of taking those classic dishes and beverages into new directions. So what are a couple of examples? I know that in the presentation you pointed out Panera has done a lot with its mac and cheese. Yeah, so one of the things that we're seeing are really creative skew extensions. And this is nothing new. This is something that we've been seeing from operators for, for many years. But I think it's something that has been significantly propelled by the pandemic. So what Panera has done with their mac and cheese, I think is just so interesting. Um, so obviously they started with their signature mac and cheese bowl. Then they added a broccoli cheddar variety using components from their popular soup. And then this eventually led to specialty mac and cheese bowls like the Southwestern and the Baja bowl using ingredients already on hand in their kitchens. And then the most recent iteration takes mac and cheese and puts it between two slices of grilled bread for a grilled mac and cheese sandwich. So really, really Instagrammable and very creative use of existing SKUs. So Panera is a really great example of how to create new innovative dishes from items that are already on hand and already very popular. And that seems to be a smart way to go because of supply chain challenges and the labor shortage. Using existing SKUs makes a lot of sense. Exactly. So you also talk about some mashups. So what's an example of a mashup? Yeah, so actually that Panera example of the mac and cheese in between two slices of grilled bread, that's a great example of a mashup taking something that, uh, you know, would traditionally be in a bowl and then putting it in between bread for a sandwich. So yeah, mashups, you know, I think are a very good example of a creative skew extension, uh, but we're seeing both day part mashups and meal part mashups um, more and more just given our current environment. So a couple cool examples are um, breakfast cookies and breakfast ramen. So operators taking breakfast flavors and putting them in traditional lunch and dinner items and then, you know, vice versa. We're also seeing examples. And then for the meal part mashup side, again, seeing operators taking things that are more traditional in food items and putting them in beverages or traditional sides and putting them in entrees. Um, so a couple examples that I had talked about in our presentation were avocado and aged balsamic being featured in cocktails. So traditional mm. items from the kitchen being featured at the bar. I could really wrap my arms around a breakfast cookie. I mean, that would be my kind of item. <laughs> Definitely. And also for that, you know, a great opportunity for kind of grab and go option in the morning. Mm -hmm. So it seems like consumers are still seeking comfort foods after two years of pandemic influenced menus. That comfort foods we know like really rose to in popularity during the pandemic. But how are um, operators making comfort foods a little more upscale on menus? Yeah, I mean, definitely given, given the uh, uncertainty of the last few years, comfort food has been more important than ever. So we're seeing operators looking to classic comfort foods and kind of revamping them in a couple different ways. So they're either over the top indulgent, 
healthy versions of classic comfort foods or just generally more premium versions of classic comfort foods. So with your question about how are they upscaling them? Well, think about French fries, for example. We're seeing some operators putting global sauces, seasonings, and spices on French fries. So it differentiates the classic item and often it'll keep that item more in line with an operator's brand positioning. We're seeing some cool examples like peanut butter and jelly getting reworked to be uh, cashew fig jam sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Um, Hop Leaf in Chicago has a really cool CB&J. So it has house-made cashew butter, fig jam, and raclette cheese on sourdough. That's all pan fried. We also saw a really cool example out of Delilah in Las Vegas of pigs in a blanket. So usually, you know, classic dish, really, they're kind of a snack. Uh, But what they do is they do mini Wagyu beef dogs, seeded croissant wrap, grainy mustard, and black truffle on top. So really classic flavors, but in more upscale presentations and preparations. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I I love pigs in the blanket. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. So I would try it. I would definitely try that with some truffle on top. So preparation is the second of your five P's. And I guess operators are using different preparation methods to elevate dishes too. Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Given like those persistent supply chain challenges that every restaurant has been really forced to face, operators are needing to do more with less and to create craveable menu items with the items that they already have on hand or whatever they can find. So you know, as a result, the preparation becomes the star for a lot of different ingredients. What are some of the preparation methods or cooking techniques that are kind of popular now? So we're seeing, you know, two different variations here with this new taste experiences and new texture experiences. And then layered in there kind of along with this is a lot of new shelf life extensions, which then lends to new taste or new texture experiences. So with the texture stuff, for example, you know, we're seeing beverages like sangria uh, in frozen preparation. So very easy way to differentiate and to kind of summarize a classic cocktail. We're seeing candied preparations. We're seeing charred preparations or uh, dust or powdered preparations of items that are typically not featured in those ways for new texture experiences. And then in the taste side of the spectrum, you know, we're seeing, you know, operators looking to unique taste preparations that consumers might be less accustomed to. So, you know, radishes, for example, which are typically served raw, operators are grilling them to provide that new taste experience. We're seeing pork shoulder getting buttermilk braised at Dear Margaret in Chicago. Risotto getting aged variations. So a couple different variations there. And then, you know, going back to that shelf life extensions, fermentation and pickling, I think is the top way that we're seeing that be done. And But the items that are getting fermented or pickled are pretty common on menus like carrots or garlic aioli or, you know, items getting jammed. So I think that really that there's a lot of different preparation types that are pretty common, but maybe we're seeing it happen to ingredients that might not typically be seeing that. That's a great way to add innovation to menus without adding new SKUs. 
Right. So that also helps meet the supply chain challenge that people exactly. Have, you know. So plants, that's your third P. <laughs> so at the restaurant show, I mean, I was walking around a lot and you couldn't walk 10 feet without tripping over another plant-based product that someone was promoting. So how are restaurants menuing some of the products in innovative ways? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I think that that was the one thing that I saw more of that I was so surprised about. And not to mention the varieties out there for the plant-based protein world are really amazing. Um, it's amazing how much they taste similar to the, the meat or seafood proteins they're trying to, to replicate. Um, but yeah, so, you know, among the fastest growing proteins on menus pre-pandemic to today, according to Technomics Ignite menu data, a lot of them are plant-based proteins. Plant-based pork was the top one. It's up 44% on menus over the past two years. Wow. Um, so is plant-based fish and plant-based beef is also on that top 10 list, up 19% and 14% respectively. So a lot of different types of plant-based proteins growing on menus. And we're also seeing a lot of um, penetration growth predictions of a lot of these specific ingredients as well. So plant-based fish and seafood, uh, cheese, pork, and some dairy, uh, plant-based dairy milks as well. Oat milk is predicted to grow 173% in operator penetration by 2023. And almond milk is also predicted to grow about 24%. So we have a lot of different variety of products and a lot of really cool products, I think, that we're going to expect to see on the horizon as well. Yeah, our team was very surprised about the egg that's made out of chickpeas and the yolk actually forms separately from the white and it looks just like a real egg. Oh, I didn't try that one, but that's, yeah, I mean, the products are really endless these days. I think that we're going to see a lot more excitement in that realm than we already have. There's also more excitement around vegetables themselves. So operators seem to be swapping in vegetables for animal proteins in some classic preparations and dishes like salt and bulka and crudo. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, this is one place that I think is incredibly innovative. You know, I think over the past few years, we've seen a lot of variations of cauliflower taking the place of traditional, you know, proteins. If you think about, you know, all of the buffalo cauliflower menuing, so cauliflower taking the place of chicken. We've also seen things like zucchini being swapped in for traditional carbs. But yeah, I think what we're seeing now is that Operators are really using a plethora of different plants in place of traditional meat and seafood in dishes and a wide range of dishes for those exciting applications. So yeah, you talked about salt and boca at Kachina 24 in Asheville, North Carolina, they do a squash salt and boca. So, uh, you know, swapping in squash in place of veal. You mentioned crudo too. So at Kindred in Davidson, North Carolina, they menu an apple crudo. So apple, of course, taking the place of traditional fish or seafood. A couple other cool examples. So I talked about, you know, that buffalo cauliflower at Comfort Kitchen in Boston. They do a buffalo sprouts. So roasted Brussels sprouts in place of cauliflower. So really tons of different examples, tons of different products being used. And I think that we're going to continue to see innovation in this space as well, too. 
That's good because I like vegetable centric dishes that show real vegetables. So I'm all for that. Absolutely. <laughs> Your fourth P is personalization. And we, uh, you know, customization has been a big trend for the last few years. Are there ways that restaurants are taking customization to the next level now? Yeah. You know, many of the things that we're seeing with customization involves swaps of traditional items for something healthier or more in line with kind of a lifestyle that doesn't hopefully impact flavor. So certainly, you know, this isn't anything new, but it's kind of evolving in new directions. So Chipotle, for example, they have their plant-based chorizo, which is available in their lifestyle bowls. Noodles and Company, they have their lean guini. So it's a lower carb, higher protein noodle. Subway, they also are testing a one net carb, zero sugar bread. So these are items that are essentially like not going to change the menu offering or the the menu style much, but it's kind of those swaps. So going back to that idea of plant swaps, this is kind of like a healthier customizable swap. And uh, I think customers are also looking for experiences now. We've talked about that a lot, especially in full service restaurants. They want more of an experience. So is that part of the personalization trend too? Absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, anything that's fun and light right now is very much sought after, you know, given, given the environment that we're in. So we're seeing these experiential offerings in a number of different ways. Some are just kind of fun and different. You think of, you know, like a cool flight of different drinks being featured on a Ferris wheel. Trizub in Chicago does that, which is really, really cool. Very Instagrammable and very fun. Some nostalgic offerings as well. We're also seeing things like over-the-top menu offerings. McDonald's did that with their menu hacks. So basically um, taking items that were already on their menu and then featuring them together as kind of a menu hack. So they had their land, air, and sea burger. So it had their Big Mac on top of a McChicken on top of a filet fish with traditional Big Mac ingredients. So really over the top there. Mm-hmm. Also a lot of over the top spice. So Arby's Diablo Dare chicken sandwich is a great example of that. So they have crispy chicken layered with ghost pepper, jack cheese, fiery hot seasoning, Diablo barbecue sauce and fire roasted jalapenos on a toasted red chipotle bun. I think I named like five different spicy versions of something on one sandwich. So I think that provides like a cool experience as well. And then kind of in the, in the marketing version of experiences, we're also seeing a lot of those celebrity or influencer inspirations. Mm -hmm. And those can be very typical basic items, but simply promoted by somebody famous. So Subway did this with their vault offerings using, um, you know, all of the NFL stars as like their favorite sandwiches. Mm -hmm. Um, We also saw this at Denny's with their social stars influenced menus. So they have their basic menu offerings, but famous TikTok stars are promoting specific ones. So that's kind of uh, a nice way to um, offer something a little bit more of an experience, a reason to come into a restaurant and try something. For sure. I wonder if Arby's makes you sign a waiver before you have that Diablo sandwich. <laughs> you know, that would be that would be great. That would be a smart way to, to make it even more exciting, even more of a reason to come in. So let's end with predictions. That's the fifth P. 
What um, specific global cuisines or areas of the world do you think will take off next? I think people are always interested in what global cuisine is the next big thing. Yeah, and I, I have trouble narrowing down just one. Um, so I'll call out three global cuisines that I think are kind of going to be the spotlight of the next year. Um, Mesoamerican, so that's basically most of Mexico and Central America. Western African, which encompasses Nigerian and Ghanan cuisines, amongst others. And I'll call out Western Asian as well, which includes those of the Arabian Peninsula and other greater Middle Eastern cuisines. So, you know, what I'm seeing with a lot of those is that a lot of the ingredients and flavors and dishes that we're seeing having momentum in the independent restaurant space are coming from these regions. In particular, a lot of nut and seed-based condiments and sauces. So going back to that plant-based trend that we were talking about. And also, I think we're seeing a lot of chefs who specialize in these cuisines getting some critical acclaim. So mm-hmm. usually when those things happen, we're starting to see those cuisine inspirations and types of cuisines kind of pop up more and more. So when you talk about Western Asia, does that include like the stands like Ubekistan and some of those areas? Or is it mostly like Mongolia and? Yeah, know, I, I think it, it includes a lot of it. Um, You know, we've talked a lot about. Turkish cuisine as well, and Iranian cuisine and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think we're seeing the Middle East inspirations really expand beyond the Levant. So we've talked about Israeli cuisine in the past a lot. So I think we're seeing that expansion move further east. Oh, cool. And lastly, um, you pinpointed the ingredient of the year and the adult beverage trend of the year. So can you share what those are? Yes. So my prediction for the ingredient of the year is new chili peppers. So I I would say in years past, we might have called out cauliflower or plant-based beef. But this year, yeah, I'm, I'm predicting new chili peppers. So I think why I'm predicting this is we've started to see more mainstream operators embrace spicier chili peppers on common applications. I mean, we just talked about that Arby's example being a perfect example of that. Um, So I think that what's cool about this is that there are so many different pepper types and heat ranges out there. So I think that there's a lot more opportunities out there for new chili peppers to find momentum and take the spotlight. And because there are so many different application types, I think that we're going to see that kind of find momentum as well, either finding chili peppers more at the center of the plate or in cocktails, not just as an accompaniment to an entree. And then, yeah, for that uh, for that adult beverage trend of the year prediction, I I was actually predicting something that's not an adult beverage trend, but really those those no and low alcohol drinks. You know, I, I'm not saying that I think traditional beer, wine, spirits, cocktails are going away. Um, you know, I actually think that an adult beverage trend of the year prediction could easily be that extension of the ready to drink space. We've seen hard seltzers having so much momentum over the past couple of years. And we're seeing that branch out in a lot of new and interesting ways, like with canned cocktails or canned wine. But I really wanted to talk about the no and low alcohol drink space because I think we've seen so much creativity with these types of non-alcohol drinks in spirits, wine, and beer, which is kind of interesting. And I think that a lot of this momentum is coming from 
the legal drinking age Gen Zers who want more alcohol-free options. And this kind of provides that in a way that makes them still feel like they're part of that imbibing atmosphere. There definitely were a lot of those in the beverage room at the restaurant show. <laughs> I don't know if you had a chance to sample them, but there are some really, I, I really think they've upgraded the product so much too, because the beer really tastes like beer and the wines really taste like wines now. Yeah. And I think that they're placing more attention on it, not just from the no alcohol space, from, from the low alcohol space as well. As well. So like wine with, with a lower ABV than traditional. And I think really too, in that, in that bar room, that, that ready to drink space, there was so much there too. And a lot of really interesting, unique products, really beautiful packaging as well. So I think Ooh. that that's definitely trying to appeal to a certain demographic. Um, so I think both of those definitely could have, could have a lot of momentum in the year to come. Thanks so much, Lizzie. It's always insightful to hear Technomics take on menu trends. Please join us next time for another episode of Menu Feed as we explore more ideas with chefs, operators, and restaurant experts. You can download this podcast and past episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Music